When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. This is the Wealth Ability for CPAs show. Better clients, better practice, better life. Here's Tom Wheelwright. So the IRS just announced that they are going to do audits on uh, large partnerships. And anybody who makes a million dollars or more and um, they think might have $250,000 are more unpaid tax liability. That's what they think, okay? And we know that they're getting another anywhere from 60 to $80 billion. They're absolutely ramping up their audit as well as their technology. So they've got AI that they're gonna start using to track people down to kind of get an idea of, you know, where are the gaps uh, with people and to use this to decide who to audit. So what I want to do today is just talk about how do you handle an audit? A lot of CPAs, tax advisors, have not had to handle an audit. Um, I've talked to members of my network of CPAs, and sure enough, I would say a good two-thirds of them have never even dealt with an IRS audit outside of just a information request Um, a paper information request for additional documentation, but never a full-fledged IRS audit. And so whether you have high uh, income taxpayers or not, um, the high income taxpayers, that's who they're doing first. But uh, there is very clear indication that a good 80 to 90% of the audits are going to be our bread and butter clients. They're going to be the the small business owners and uh, employees making $200,000, $300,000 a year. So that's uh, kind of our bread and butter. And so I wanted to walk through how we handle an audit. I've handled several audits over a 40 plus year career and uh, have a particular way of looking at it and just wanted to share uh, my thoughts with you today so that uh, we can do a better job with our clients. Um, An audit actually starts with the tax return. Uh, and the preparation of the tax return. I have been shocked, frankly, to hear that there are even large CPA firms that are not maintaining work papers. They are turning everything back to the client. And this may be, you know, simple for you. And when you're not going to get an audit and you're pretty sure you're not going to get an audit, I, I guess I understand. I don't really, because I grew up in the, you know, big accounting firms, Ernst & Young and, and uh, Pricewaterhouse. And uh, 
of course, we always did work papers. And so when I started my firm, I want to make sure we had good work papers. And for a couple of reasons. One is that if I have a new staff member come in and let's say there's an amended return that has to be done, I want them to know exactly what they need to do. So good work papers is good work product anyway. Um, but when it comes to an audit, it's particularly important because what we want to do is we want to prepare that tax return as if it's going to be audited. Now, granted, 90, even with an increase in auditors, 95% or more tax returns are not going to be audited. We know that. Um, but what about those 5% that are going to be audited? That means that our likelihood of handling audits is going to go up. And don't we want to prepare or provide a better work product to our client? What this means is, is that when the audit comes, we're prepared for it. And that takes a lot of stress off of us, and it takes an enormous amount of stress off of our clients. And of course, this is all about our clients, right? What, what, how do we make this less stressful for the client? That's the most important thing about an IRS audit. It's, it's about the client. It's not about us. It's not about the IRS. It's about how do we, how do we be the best advocate for our client and relieve their stress? And so one of the, as I said, the first thing we have to do is we have to prepare a really solid tax return. Um, if we have positions that are in gray areas, we need to document those positions. If uh, we need uh, whatever documentation, we need to make sure we have the documentation. Now, does that mean we're going to have all the documentation the IRS is going to request? No, of course not. We're not going to have all the bank statements. We're going to have the bank reconciliation, right? We're not going to have um, a lot of the information the IRS needs. However, we've got a good solid foundation for um, uh, handling that IRS audit. And so we don't have to be afraid of it. Uh, number one rule is we cannot be, as the professional advisors, we cannot be afraid of the IRS. If you're afraid of the IRS, you need to do a different profession. Uh, I'm just going to say it. If you're afraid of the IRS, I would suggest another profession. Bookkeeping is, a, you know, is a thought, um, uh, accounting, whatever, but not tax. Uh, Taxes is not for the weak at heart, and we need to know our we we need to know our stuff. We really do. So there's a lot of preparation we do long before we ever get an audit. But let's say we do. We get that the client gets the audit notice, and uh, so they're going to get a full uh, a full field audit uh, meaning that they're not asking for certain information they're they're doing a full-fledged audit either of the taxpayers of the client's individual return or of one or more of their business returns um, so the very first thing that's going to happen is the IRS is going to want to have a call um, with the taxpayer and we're going to prepare a 2848. Um, power of attorney, and we're going to be the taxpayer's representative in that call. Um, very, very important. Our client is not going to be on the call. In fact, our client is not going to be on any call and will never talk to the IRS. Rule number one of an IRS audit really is prepare a good tax return. Rule number two is the client never speaks to the IRS. They will mess it up. And I tell my clients that directly said, don't talk to the IRS. I don't want you talking to the IRS. The IRS can be pretty insistent about that. I, I let them know, look, absent a subpoena, you, I, I'm the taxpayer's representative. So you need to talk to me. 
And um, I, you know, you don't want to get into a, 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 you know, a, get the auditor upset right from the very beginning. If they ask for the client um, to, to be on a call, then what I always do is say, so help me understand why you need the client on the call. I'm the taxpayer's representative. So what can the client tell you that I can't tell you? And they may tell you and say, well, you know what? Let me, uh, if you'd be very specific in your information, I will get you very specific answers and I will uh, make sure that you get everything you need. Our job, one of our jobs is to make the IRS auditor's job easier. And I, I really believe that. Um, we want to facilitate it because we want them in and out. Uh, we don't want them lingering and wondering and, uh, you know, fighting this. I want to get them really what they need. So part of that means that that very first call, uh, I, I want to set the tone for this audit and I want it to be um, very positive. Uh, I, I want to recognize that the IRS auditor is simply doing their job. They are, they are an adversary in the strictest sense, but they have a job to do. And um, they're hired to do a job and the taxpayers have said, yeah, it's okay. We passed the 16th Amendment. So we, we, we know we have an in, income tax obligation and we know that, that those have to be audited. So um, very first thing is how do you handle that first call? The first call should be just a kind of get to know you call. That's what the IRS wants. Um, the more information we can get about what the IRS auditor is looking for, or why the auditor the audit came up was it just a random audit was there something specific that they're looking at um, that will help us we're trying to gather information in that first call they are too by the way but we're trying to gather as much information as we can without divulging information that they don't specifically need in order to accomplish what they want to accomplish again we're trying to get them focused narrow their scope and and get them to where um they're getting exactly what they want and no more and no less. So that first call is actually very important. Um, then what they're going to do is they're going to send us the first of probably multiple information document requests or what we call IDRs. And what we want to do is now typically they'll send us an IDR that just, they have a standard IDR and it just covers everything. So what I like to do is go back to the auditor once we get that IDR and say, okay, let's prioritize. Okay, what, what can we get you first? First of all, I'd like them to focus on a sample. I don't want to give them everything. Uh, that's that's going to bog them down. It's going to mean the audit's going to last for years. We don't want that. So let's get to what they're actually after. So um, first of all, first thing they're doing is they're looking for a reconciliation of the return. Now, interestingly enough, one of the first things they're going to ask you for is a copy of the tax return. Why is that? Because <laughs> unbelievably, un unbelievable as it is, the audit section doesn't talk to the, um, uh, the, the, the tax return section of the IRS. And it's very hard for them to get a copy of the of the tax return. All they know is that they got on their docket audit this tax return for this year for this taxpayer. So we get them a copy of the tax return. Don't fight that. It's, yeah, it's inefficient, but so what? Um, second of all, we want to make sure that if they can sample, so to in order to, to reconcile, um, if they can sample, then 
let's sample. So if they want to sample some documents, so they want to go, do you have documentation for this? Do these match up? Let's get a sample done. So that's one thing that we want them to do. Another thing is, is we just want to make it simple for them. So, all right. So they, they want to, they want to make sure uh, the, the the return reconciles to the information. Okay, well, let's walk through that. What do you need? So that means that they're going to need things like they might need 1099s, the, the 1098s for an individual. They might need um, uh, financial statements. They're absolutely going to ask for financial statements for a business. Um, the, and they're going to ask for documentation of charitable contributions. All the documentation we should be asking for, they're going to ask for. Don't fight it. Now, there is an art to this, um, and that is how do you get the information to them? And remember, our job is to give them the information that they need, not, nothing more. Nothing less, but nothing more. So all throughout the audit process, we're trying to help them clarify what they're looking for and how they can get their job done um, the easiest because they want to get it done too. So we're not, we're not really at this point, we're not fighting them on anything. We're just clarifying and trying to get as narrow as we can so that we're not asking the client for a whole bunch of stuff. And then the auditor has to go through and say, well, I don't need all this. Well, you asked for all of it. Right. And so that can get a little frustrating. And rather than get to that frustrating point, let's instead, let's simply ask the auditor, what is it that you, you know, what, what are you trying to get to? Let's get you that information. Now, you're going to start gathering this information. Now, you want to make sure it's organized. You want to make sure that you have every IDR, um, every, every single issue on that IDR, um, that request, you want to have it document it. You want to have it in order. They're going to want it in um, electronic form. So they typically are going to want a thumb drive. So you're going to, you're going to make your, you might have documentation, but you also might have explanations. Now, when it comes to the explanations, please be very careful about your wording. Please be very careful. I would suggest you have two or three um, pairs of eyes looking at that um, uh, what you're delivering back to the auditor. And the reason is, is because we can inadvertently say things that are in such a way that it's not clear to the IRS. Let me give you an example. So a number of years ago, I had an, a friend actually who had an IRS audit and they begged me to to help them with it. Now, I did. I took them on as a client at that point and helped them. And one of the issues that came up was a real estate professional, which if your client has claimed, your individual client has claimed to be a real estate professional, it will always come up. Always. Okay. Now, every auditor will bring it up. So they brought up real estate professional. Do you have documentation for the hours? And I said, sure. I said, well, let me first tell you what this client does. They do real estate. That's all they do. So they don't have another job. They have uh, real estate rentals and they manage those real estate rentals. Husband um, had a job, did that job, but the wife was 100% real estate. He said, well, could you please, you know, show me the documentation? So the client had uh, documentation. They'd taken a spreadsheet and they put in all of their hours and they said, you know, phone call here, 
um, email there and so on and so forth. And so I gave it to the auditor and the auditor said, well, phone calls and emails don't count. And I said, really? I said, yeah, yeah, that doesn't count towards real estate professional hours. I said, that is great news. And he kind of looked at me and he goes, what? I said, well, if phone calls and emails don't count towards active participation, that means I'm passive in my CPA uh, business because that's all I do is phone calls and emails. He says, no, 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 no. That's not what I meant. <laughs> what I, what, I said, well, what would you like? He says, well, I need more detail. So basically what he was asking for is he wants to know who's the phone call to, what's it for, who's the email to, why are you having this communication? And then when we did that, we came back with that. We gave them more detail. It was fine. No problem. And that's kind of how we need to work with the IRS is we've got to work with the auditor in on their terms. You know, what is it that they're looking for? They don't always know. You know, they think they know, um, but then they don't know the taxpayer. We know the taxpayer. And so they're, they're coming in cold. And we have to remember that they're coming in cold. I had an auditor, and, and, and I think we need to be respectful of the IRS. Uh, I know I, you know, there are things about the IRS that I don't care for at all. Um, I am always respectful with the IRS auditors. Uh, I think, first of all, I think it's fair. And second of all, I think it, I, I think um, honey attract takes care of more flies than um, uh, vinegar, right? I, I think that that, I think we really do need to um, be polite, courteous, professional with them. I had a situation a number of years ago where um, a, a client of mine was being audited personally, his business which he was only a part owner in, had been audited before he was audited. And that business was handled by a different CPA than me. Um, when the auditor came, I, I happened to ask. I said, well, so how'd that audit go? And she said, it was horrible. I said, what happened? He says, she goes, the CPA was so mean to me. Um, uh, honestly, I went home in tears more than one night. I went home in tears and I'm going, that's just not right. And, and I told her, I said, that won't happen here. And it set the tone of the audit. And we ended up having a, a really good relationship. We had a, a really good audit. We got a good result. And, um, and it was a fair result. And that's what we're after. We're after a fair result for the client. Remember that the very first thing, by the way, the thing that they want most is documentation. So they're going to reconcile this return. They want to reconcile it to the financial statements, make sure that everything on the financial statements is on the tax return. That's step number one. Step number two is documentation. So remember a, uh, a deduction that we pretend to document is a pretend deduction. We don't get the deduction without documentation. Um, so that's rule number three in an audit is that we always have to document. We provide true documentation. And remember, certain things aren't documentation. A um, credit card statement is not documentation. We need the receipts. So that's the rules, okay? Um, they say that they don't need, the IRS says they don't need contemporaneous documentation for real estate professional, but in fact, they do. They will uh, request it, they will require it. 
um, if you have a cost segregation, they're going to look for the cost segregation study. If you have um, whatever it is, charitable contribution, they're going to look for the charitable contribution paperwork. Okay, is this a true charitable contribution? Is it true charity? Is it is it qualified? All of that. They're going to look for all that. So those are the two things. They're, they're going to look for those two things long before they ever look at any technical issues. We tend as tax advisors to focus on technical issues. That's step three in the in the audit process, right? I mean, they want to reconcile first. They want to document second. Then if all of those look good, by the way, they may never bring up the issues. They may not. They may, but they may not. Um, I've seen uh, IRS audits that they just focus so much on documentation. Once we got all the documentation, they were done. And um, great, no questions. I mean, we're, we're not in that aggressive category. We don't take deductions that aren't legitimate deductions. We don't uh, do things that aren't legitimate. So that probably helps. Um, at the same time, we know the law. And if there's a legitimate deduction that we, we're, we're, not gonna, we're not going to avoid taking the deduction because the IRS might disallow it. If, if, it's, if it's a legitimate deduction, we're going to take it. And so, um, but the documentation is critical to that, okay? It's absolutely critical. Uh, so remember that we have to manage both the, uh, the, the audit and the auditor. And th this communication back and forth, this is something that we can practice. And frankly, I would suggest you practice it. Um, practice asking questions. The person who asks the questions is controls the communication. They control the conversation. So I would practice asking questions. There's a little game we play in our uh, CPA network where we call it the question game. And we put two people opposite each other. And uh, one of them starts asking the question. And the second one has to delve deeper by asking a clarifying question. And you have to go back and forth. And the first pe person to answer loses. And it's a kind of a fun game. But uh, some people just cannot do it. And honestly, if that's the case, then you probably shouldn't handle an IRS audit. You should probably get help. Um, now, let's talk about how the audit progresses. Okay, so let's say you've gotten the information. No, it's going to take them some time. We're going to respond. They want additional documentation. Great. Additional information. Great. Um, keep it, you know, we want to keep it moving. Uh, at some point, they're going to say, okay, well, you know, we're, you know, here's what I think is going to happen. And I will always ask um, if there's actually an assessment, I'm going to ask, has your supervisor looked at this? And would you mind having them review this, please? And uh, I want to make sure. And then if, if, if there's an issue, I want to talk to the supervisor because where we want to resolve audit issues is at the auditor level. Um, appeals is not a fun place to go. It's not. In fact, I will tell you, honestly, we routinely do not go to appeals anymore. Um, if we've got a big enough issue, um, if, we, if it's a small enough issue, we want to settle it, if it uh, because it's going to just be expensive to go further um, for, the, for the client. If it's a major issue, we will at that point probably bring in a tax attorney that will file in tax court. Ta when you file in tax court, you get an assessment um, you, uh, get a 90 day letter 
you file the attorney files in tax court. What does the tax court do immediately? They send it down to appeals. Well, now it's on the docket in tax court. So now appeals has a much stronger incentive to settle if it's on the tax court docket than if instead you went directly to appeals. Now, some people like going to appeals. If that's you, great, go for it. I have not honestly had a lot of success. Um, when I have success with appeals, it's because we we brought the attorney in, they filed in tax court, and now the um, appeals officer is going, okay, I need to settle this because the tax court doesn't want to see this. And and that's that's the next step. I know that CPAs and enrolled agents are allowed to practice before the tax court. I will tell you, I think that's a bad idea. Um, I like doing what I'm good at. I'm really good at handling the audit. I, I'm happy to do that. But I don't know tax court procedure. I'm, I, I'm not an attorney. I don't try cases. I don't really want to do that. I let attorneys handle that. And I strongly suggest that. Let the right people do the right thing. Let's say that we need some forensic accounting. I'm not going to do that either. I'm going to, we're going to hire a forensic accountant and they're going to go in and do, you know, all this forensic work. And you're, you can have that in a complex uh, uh, audit case. Um, particularly you get a um, an auditor that you feel is unreasonable and they're, and, and they've gone through and they've made an assessment. You go, this is completely wrong. Um, then we need to bring in, we might need to bring in help. Um, I had a, an audit. I kind of stepped in the middle of it. Um, this was a new client of mine. And uh, the, uh, the auditor had assessed over $2 million in tax liability for the, for the year. And um, we hired, we, meaning me and the attorney, right? Because immediately brought in the tax attorney. And we hired a forensic auditor, um, and they went in and they kind of pulled, here's where the IRS was wrong and everything. We actually got that assessment at appeals. We got it down to $52,000 um, from a minute, over 2 million. And that's the type of thing. This is why documentation, 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 real estates, location, location, location in an audit. It's documentation, documentation, documentation. We need to make sure everything ties out, everything reconciles, the documentation supports it. If we're not doing the tax return, then we've we've exposed ourselves and our clients to an enormous amount of risk. If we are not, if we're not requesting the documentation, requiring the documentation, um, we probably do too much on our tax return. We tie out the balance sheet. Um, I want documentation. I want the uh, cash accounts reconciled. I want the liability accounts reconciled. I want to see, um, you know, those are the two big ones. If my balance sheet works, my income statement is going to be accurate in the net number. And that's what's most important to me. So I want to make sure that balance sheet reconciles. I want to have documentation for that. If I have that, my client is never going to have to worry about an audit. Um, they may have to worry about auditors taking you know, positions, the IRS is taking some positions where even though we as tax advisors believe that the law is clearly on our client's side, the IRS is taking different positions, things like conservation easements or captive insurance companies, things like that. You go, well, wait a minute, it's right here in the law. What's wrong with this? And then the IRS takes a, a, a different position. 
Um, there are some cases like a captive insurance case, for example, where they are absolutely going to disallow it. They're, you're going to now remember though, you still have to provide all the documentation. So even if you know the IRS is going to disallow it, you don't get to provide additional documentation at trial typically. Um, that's, a, that's an important rule. So you need to provide all the documentation to the auditor that will help your case. You need to provide them all the documentation that will help your case. The other thing that that does is it tells the auditor you're thorough. It tells the auditor there's probably not gaps. Yes, we have a difference of opinion on the law, but there is no issue of fact. There's legal issues and there's factual issues. Our job as the accountants and as the, the tax preparers and the tax advisors is to make sure that there are no issues of fact going forward. We want to make sure that those facts are clear, that they're obvious, that, they, that they're, they're documented. And when we do that, we end up with a much better result for the client. Um, I've always had good results with, with, uh, with audits with one or two minor exceptions where we had you know, that, that auditor that just was not reasonable at all. And, um, and then you make a decision, you make a decision, the client has to make a decision. Am I going to fight this? Is it enough money to fight it? Um, that's where we have to advise our clients and say, well, here's, here's the potential negative, here's the potential positive, and here's the cost of getting to that, to the positive. And sometimes the cost of getting to the positive, unfortunately, is more than the tax. And I think that's going to happen more and more um, because the IRS is taking some positions that are, I think, questionable. Um, for example, uh, take a conservation easement. Disallowing the whole conservation easement rather than when you when their people are following the rules instead of just going after the valuation. To me, that that doesn't make sense. Go after the valuation all you want. Um, we'll bring in our expert. You bring in your expert. This is a this is a question of fact, but it's an opinion, right? I mean, a, a, a valuation of a charitable donation is an opinion. So we get our best expert, they get their best expert, we let the court decide, or the appeals, look, appeals officer looks at this and say, uh, wow, taxpayer's expert is way better than our expert. I think we need to settle this. And that's what we're trying to get. We're always trying to get to settlement on the IRS audit as at the lowest level possible. First at the auditor level, then at the supervisor, uh, supervisor slash manager level. Then if we can't, then we end up, again, we typically go through tax court to appeals and then we settle at the appeals level. Um, I've actually never had one that actually made it to court. Now that may change, but in 40 plus years, I've never had a case actually go all the way to court. We, we've been able to settle them. So just remember that. Uh, that is the goal of an IRS audit. It may be hard to swallow, um, but that's what it is. You roll up your sleeves. And this is why I'm wearing my, my, my white shirt with the sleeves today because we just roll up our sleeves and we do what we need to do. Um, again, uh, just a, a, a final, final comments about IRS audits. Treat the auditor with respect, please. They are doing a really tough job. I can't imagine, honestly, a worse job um, than being an IRS auditor. Just because, I mean, what, how would it be to have every one of your customers dislike you? They don't want to see you. They want nothing to do with you. 
that's a really tough place to be. And I think we need to put ourselves in their position. Now, that doesn't mean we're not the taxpayer's advocate. We are 100% taxpayer's advocate. Um, the AICPA, for some reason, says we're allowed to, we're not required to, but we are, in my mind, we are morally obligated. This is what the client hired us for. We are their advocate. We are not impartial. We are an advocate for our client. And, um, and that means that we need to be even. We're the professional. We handle the client. We handle the audit and we handle the client. And uh, those uh, interpersonal skills uh, become very important. And so if you have, for example, let's say you've got one of your managers that not really good at interpersonal skills, um, don't have them handle the audit. Bring in somebody who can handle the interpersonal side of things and have that manager do the do the legwork. That's fine. You know, anybody can do the legwork. Just make sure that you're you're watching it. If you're in charge of the client, ultimately, if you're a partner or um, uh, however you're involved, I mean, if you're a client, then you it's your responsibility. And we, again, once we take care of the auditor, we take care of the audit, we take care of the documentation, we take their care of the client. Everybody ends up a lot happier. The audit goes a lot more smoothly. And uh, and the and the client has a lot less stress. And in the end, number one is for the client to have less stress. Number two is the client pay the least amount of tax possible. Thanks. You've been listening to the WealthAbility for CPA show. Better clients, better practice, better life. To learn more, go to wealthability.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.